This is out of bounds. This is Out of Bounds, and things just got real out of bounds right before we went on air. It's your home for the weird, wacky, and wild in the sports world. I'm John Alba. That's Mia O'Brien. And boy, howdy, do we have some crazy things to talk about tonight. Literally, just as we went on the air, we will get to that in just a few minutes with Shohei Otani news that none of us were expecting. Uh, but Mia, what's going on? You uh, were not on the road this week. You were not doing anything crazy. It seems like uh, the good news, John. Oh, sorry. We're still working on some technical difficulties, John. So stand by, buddy. You sound fine, but go ahead. There we go. Okay. I'm in the middle now. There we go. Uh, we're we're going to get her taken care of. Uh, but we have just absolutely insane. I mean, insane Shohei Otani news that broke just before uh, we went on air. Let's get Mia back in here now. We're back! We're going to get to that Shohei news in a little bit. So anyway, I was saying, Mia, uh, it seemed like not not too bad of a weekend for you, huh? Oh, no. Uh, it was a very relaxing weekend, minus the fact that Joe, geriatric Joe Flacco went up and down the field on the Jaguars. And uh, I had to hear about it all day today. But other than that, a uh, good weekend of uh, calling some high school basketball, not having to travel to Cleveland in the snow, and uh, life is good. Aside from that, um, the only thing that I will tell you is that good weekend in that the furniture at my home was finally built. That's good. And the plan was to be broadcasting from the home studio for the first time this evening. However, about eight minutes ago, I went into the home studio and discovered that the little guy had decided to test the studio before us. And so uh, by that, I mean, my cat had an accident in my home studio. And oh, so... Shout out to Terrence, and uh, instead, here we are still at the kitchen counter, but next week, we will be in the home okay. studio, and hopefully, my microphone will decide to work as well. Okay, looking forward to that. Wild stuff. I can't wait for our Out of Bounds listeners to chime in on it this week. The way you can do that, you can leave a chat on YouTube, but if you want to read on air, kynchat.com, or you leave that super chat on YouTube, we're going to get your comment on the air. We're going to get your question on the air. I cannot wait for this episode of Out of Bounds, so I don't want to waste more time here. Mia, we're going to toast today to money in sports because there is a whole lot to go around from the highest earners in the game. What you got there? Uh, I have a nice white claw inside of a bachelorette okay. party koozie, um, which I'm that. going to the wedding of said bachelorette party. And I was going to do the classic, oh, I'm trying to be healthy because I have all these cookie calories. Um, but then I discovered Terrence puked under my desk. So here we go. And also the microphone isn't working. But we're going to have a show. Let's do it, Let's Johnny. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. High money earners in sports, Mia. There's a lot of them. And Patrick Mahomes is one of them. Yes, he is so. indeed. Mahomes has taken every opportunity possible in the last 24 hours to let everyone know he was unhappy about the officiating in the Chiefs' loss to the Bills Monday night, or Sunday night, rather. It looked like Casey had taken the lead on a wild go-ahead touchdown play that saw Travis Kelsey lateral to Kadarius Toney, allowing him to take it to the house. It was a great play, except it didn't count, Mia, because Toney was ruled offsides, negating it and resulting in the Chiefs dropping to 8-5 and five on the season. Is Mahomes earning a crybaby reputation for just not letting this one go, especially since all things considered, Mia, it seems like Mahomes is probably in the wrong and the ref got the call right. 
Better yet, John, the fact that Andy Reid had to walk back his comments earlier today as well. Um, the fact that Andy Reid, a, a guy who is not known for going after the officials like maybe some other coaches in NFL history, he even made a comment about it of, well, you know, like normally at least I'm given a heads up. Statistically speaking, this call of offsides or neutral zone infraction in that situation in which the head coach was not given alert and the player did not check with the official. That happened three times all of last year, but they're cracking down on it. It has happened about eight times now in the 2023 season. And so it's not like this was an, an antiqu- an antiquated call that the Chiefs weren't expecting. It's been in practice forever. It's especially been cracked down on this year. And so in terms of the actual like rule breaking, the Chiefs are inherently in the wrong. If anything, similar to, in a weird twist of fate, Jawan Taylor, their right tackle, although they signed him for left tackle money from Jacksonville, constantly jumping off sides in week one against the Lions in that nationally televised opener, similar to that having been a trend throughout Jawan's entire career and it coming to fruition into the forefront of the minds because it was a nationally televised game and he now plays for the Kansas City Chiefs defending Super Bowl champs. In a weird twist of fate, this is the same exact thing just at a macro level, in that the Chiefs have always been complaining, and Mahomes has been working the referees his entire career, but it reared its ugly head on Sunday night in Kansas City. And I think what's most disheartening, and I understand those who think this is is pearl clutching, but for me, the video that Thad Brown from one of the local stations up in Rochester recorded on the field of Patrick Mahomes dapping up Josh Allen and then following up with a flurry of like just – obscenities and cuss words and like like you're saying good game to him and you want to just complain instead like I know we can curse a little bit on this podcast I'm going to refrain but like dude stop complaining it's a game you lost sometimes it happens and it's like too you're supposed to be the face of this league people look at you and they say he's the next best thing since Tom Brady that we've had Tom Brady would have never represented himself in that manner yeah, you know, we've seen Tom Brady fiery before, but continuing to barrage and barrage and barrage on the referees and the officiating when there's an entire game to be played, it's not a good look, especially when you're wrong. And they were wrong about this. Kadarius Tony was not properly lined up. It's as simple as and that. And worse yet, Jawan Taylor wasn't lined up properly either. So you have multiple infractions there. And on top of it, Mia, let's not kid ourselves. Kansas City has been the beneficiary of some non-calls or poor calls in the past. This is not the first I.e. in the Super Bowl, John. Yeah. So to go out there in this game, and look, I get it. It's been a bit of a frustrating season for Kansas City. They have not been as good as people were hoping they'd be or thought they'd be. Remember last year after they won the Super Bowl and they were like, this proves the doubt is wrong, even though everyone kind of had them in like the top three anyway. No more rolling. Shut your mouth, you jabroni. Right, right. But now Kansas City is actually in that position that Patrick Mahomes was claiming they were in last year, where now people are looking at this team and saying, ah, they, they might not be a Super Bowl team. So it's those frustrations building up and building up and building up and Look, there's no doubt about it, Mia, right? Ever since this Taylor Swift stuff, Kansas City is in the limelight on a whole nother level than any other team in the NFL. It's just a reality. That's that's how they it is. They also have won two Super Bowls in the last four years, but yes, Absolutely. That's so I think that Patrick Mahomes owes a big apology to the entire league. I really do. And I think that some people might hear that as an overreaction, but when you are supposed to be the face of the league, you cannot be out there blasting the officiating for something they got right. It's here's the other part of it too, is that 
I don't even think Patrick Mahomes was that upset at the referee when you boiled it down. Do you think he was just blaming something? Yes. I think he needed something to blame that wasn't Kadarius Toney. Because Kadarius Toney has been the source of a lot of frustration for Chiefs fans outside of the Super Bowl since he was acquired at the trade deadline last year. This is not the first time that he's been called for some absurd penalty that he probably should have checked himself and would have been fine with. And this is not the first time that a wide receiver has metaphorically dropped the ball for Patrick Mahomes this season. This is a frustration that is misdirected solely because he doesn't know what else to blame at this point besides his wide receivers, and he doesn't want to publicly berate them. Guess what? Peyton Manning used to berate his guys. No one said anything. They said he was a leader and he was holding people accountable. How can you not hold this guy accountable when this is not the first time this has happened? And better yet, if you really want to talk about Jawan Taylor being offsides, he's in the top seven in the, or excuse, me, excuse me, He's number one in penalties accrued this season in the National Football League, regardless of position. And Legereus Sneed, who is also a member of the Kansas City Chiefs, is number seven. So you have two players of every position player in the National Football League who are in the top ten in penalties. Kadarius Toney somehow is not in that top ten. He probably is after Sunday night. And yet you want to blame the refs when this is clearly a trend with your team being undisciplined and additionally your wide receivers struggling on the field. And so I think a lot of this was just Patrick looking for something to blame and being so hyper like fixated at the moment and heated. He just decided it was Kansas city against the world and the refs are against us, which is of course a hilarious thing. Yeah. And it's just, it's a shame because you know, one of the things that people get on someone like LeBron about is they say LeBron wins, right? LeBron any, any flops. And they say the same and, thing about Josh Allen with the Bills, by the yeah. way. He plays the refs, too. Of course. And, you know, I don't – I understand why people say it about LeBron, but I still think LeBron's, like, greatest ever. You don't want to fall into that trap of having that follow you around for your career. You don't want that following you around, especially in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes is so damn talented. And his dad played in Major League Baseball. You don't want that following you everywhere you go. I hope for his sake that he will be able to come clean here, admit that he was wrong. And, you know, when you have someone like Travis Kelsey as your teammate, who's such a great representative for the league, you'd think there'd probably be a little more of a, I don't know, a push to make things right. But then Kelsey had his own issues this past training camp as well. So, I don't know. Maybe something's in the water there in Kansas City. Well, I like what Scott had to say on our YouTube comments, which, of course, we would love for you guys to leave Super Chats, too. That's how the network makes its dough. So we appreciate you guys. Um, But he brings up a good point about Kelsey was standing next to him, could have told him to back up. That's true. My favorite part of this whole thing was when Patrick Mahomes gets there to the podium. And mind you, at this point, he's had about 20 minutes to cool down. And he says, I just can't believe the refs did that. They took away a moment from a Hall of Fame resume for Travis Kelsey, a play he would have been remembered for in week 14 of the regular season of 2023. That's a play that's going to, yes, when he goes into the Hall of Fame, this is the play that we were going to think of. Okay, yes. Thank you, Patrick. I'm glad to see you use the cool-down period to its maximum potential. Man, I can't wait till we talk about Shohei. I know I know that's coming up in a little bit. You guys want to stick around for that because we have – Quite the conversation because some more news just came down about Shohei Otani Uh-oh. we're going to get to in a little bit. But we'll we'll stick with football here, Mia. And we'll talk about a, a game that is, well, near and dear to you, especially this one quarterback. Yeah, thankfully I didn't have to go to Cleveland and be witness to the rise of Joe Flacco the from the The resurrection. The resurrection because uh, in the words of Justin Pugh, 
John Alba, he was straight off the couch. Uh, I think our good friend Ian Eagle brought it up no less than three times in yesterday's broadcast that two weeks ago, Joe Flacco was at his parents' house in Audubon, New Jersey, throwing the football around with the kids, having a nice Sunday supper in between the 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock games. He even went out of his way to buy NFL, uh, what's it called? Pa- uh, what's it called? Um, game Pass? What, what? I don't even know. Sunday ticket? I- yeah, Sunday ticket, because he wanted to watch all the games. Um, long story short, that same guy that was on the couch two weeks ago leads the Cleveland Browns to a 31-27 win over the Jaguars Sunday. Moving Cleveland to 8-5, and five, they are well in position to make a playoff run, currently holding the number one wildcard spot in the AFC. He is the fourth quarterback that Kevin Stefanski and the boys have started this season in Northeast Ohio. He tossed three scores in the unlikely win, which, by the way, he also lit the Rams up the week before for 250-plus yards, hits the Jags for 300-plus more. It begs the question... Is Joe Flacco finally elite? <laughs> We've resurrected this conversation 12 years later. Isn't that amazing? Now, nah, listen, no questions asked me. Uh, I was thinking about this a lot. This is the craziest quarterback year in NFL history. Yes. Hopefully, we never see anything like this again. And you know, I love to talk about the proverbial torch being passed from cult hero to cult. Well, Dobbs mania is over. I don't think we have that in the rundown, but we can throw that out there. And so um, now we have gone from Dobbs mania to Tommy DeVito, who still may rise again, um, to Jake Browning to now Joe Flacco. It's wild. It's one of the craziest years we will ever see in the NFL as far as quarterbacks go. And, and you know, maybe it was needed. Maybe it reminded teams the value of developing a quality backup quarterback because the league has set itself up in a way in which everything runs through the quarterback. So if your quarterback goes down, you need to have someone who can carry the mantle at least at a suitable level to allow your team to succeed. And if Joe Flacco is going to be that guy for Cleveland and it's looking likely that it's going to be him the rest of the way, even though he by the rules of the league, had to be demoted to the practice squad today. And technically, someone else could pick him up if they wanted to. But the way that Cleveland will be able to manipulate the roster time, uh, they'll be fine having him start next week. Uh, You know what? I don't know if Joe Flacco is elite, but Joe Flacco is a legend. There's no questions asked after something like this. This builds your folklore, right? He's got. I want to know what I want to give Joe, Joe Flacco credit for most of all, John. He recognized when it was time to evolve. He recognized when the Baltimore Ravens had their next quarterback in Lamar Jackson, they were revamping their offense. And he said, you know what? I'm okay with being a backup. I'm okay with the longevity I can have for my, the rest of my career. That's what Vince Carter did. I could still make. Yep, exactly. And that's what you're seeing as opposed to some of these guys who hold on a little bit too long or refuse to eventually move into a backup spot. He said, you know what? I'm a a okay with that. I believe I still got something in the tank. My body can't go the same way it used to, but maybe this extra rest is a good thing. And the fact that, quite frankly, which is our next topic, uh, those fr- those friends of ours in, at MetLife Stadium, the fact that he said no thank you to the Jets and then said yes to Cleveland is also fascinating. <laughs> well, I mean, look at which team is in a better position to make a playoff run. Which team I has mean, Miles I- Garrett? I mean, both teams have elite defenses in their own right. Sure. But... Cleveland Cleveland is having one of its better seasons in their 25-year history uh, in Cleveland, the, the Browns are. And the fact that they're doing that on their fourth quarterback, I just what a weird year it's been for them Come from the Deshaun Watson controversy uh, in through all the injuries within the backups 
to now where you have a guy who people just clowned for so long for merely existing, which was not fair to him. The man the won a Super Bowl. He did. He was a top five quarterback for like at least a four year stretch there. So now he finds himself in a position where he has a chance to maybe lead this unlikely team to the playoffs and have a movie written about him or something. I don't know. Like, what My if, what favorite it... was when he was asked and he's like, yeah, there, there's some young guys on the team who like when I introduced myself, they looked at me and they were like, I know who you are. I used to play as you in Madden and I used to like I grew up watching you and it's like, oh, right, I'm 38. I also had a Jaguar staffer text me and say, you do realize we got beat by a quarterback who's my age. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's where we're at. Yeah. No, listen, it's great. Is he elite? No, he's not elite. He's never going to be elite. But I do think this is an amazing story. And if they make the playoffs and he's starting a playoff game for them, uh, that's the type of stuff that you love about sports, right? You you live for those kinds of stories. And yeah, you know what? That Cleveland win may have done a number on your Jaguars there. So we'll we'll have to see how the trajectory plays out. But we can. I think on. it's just the Jaguars can't play teams from Ohio. Let's just throw that out there. Could be that uh, Cincinnati, Cleveland. We're blaming. Oh, you know it's that weird. Have you seen that Twitter account? That's like, did this happen in Florida or Ohio? And it's crazy, <laughs> outlandish headlines. That that's what we're dealing yeah. with here. It's well, just that, that transitive property. Here, here's a crazy, outlandish headline. Right oh, here. baby! This is insane. Uh, you know, of course. It didn't matter, but Zach Wilson had the best game of his career yesterday. The Jets walloped the Houston Texans 30-6 to at home. Wilson returned under center for the Jets after there was a question of whether or not he even wanted to play or not after being benched for Tim Boyle and Trevor Simeon. Well, he goes 26-36, of 36, two touchdowns, 301 yards. Is this a totally irrelevant footnote, or is it a meaningful game for Zach's football livelihood and future? It's called Law of Averages. The moment I saw the forecast in New York and saw some of those headlines and some of the quotes coming out of the Jets locker room, you just knew. You knew it was going to happen. And there is some team out there, especially after Daniel Jeremiah's comments a few weeks ago on the Move the Sticks podcast, that if he could get a perfect situation and a, a complete redo on a quarterback's trajectory – His pick will be Zach Wilson. There is going to be a team out there because I don't think he'll be on the New York Jets roster next year. There will be a team out there that says, you know what? I think we could try to figure and fix Zach Wilson. As a starter? As a eventual starter. I think it's a team that has a quarterback right now, i.e., I don't know, the Minnesota Vikings, perhaps. They re-sign Kirk Cousins or Josh Dobbs. If they don't, if they, let's say, they do make the playoffs and thus they don't get a high draft pick and they can't draft a quarterback of the future, I could totally see a world in which O'Connell says, you know what, I'm an offensive genius. I can figure this out. Let me get him in here for a couple years in my system and we'll build it around him. I think that this did wonders for the long-term trajectory of Zach Wilson's career. One game. Oh, I agree. It's one game, but it's going to be enough. I'm asking you. You're saying one game did long-term wonders for the trajectory. Because what did we lead off the show with saying, John, that this this year has been an indictment on why you need to have a great backup quarterback. Oh, I mean, I don't look, I think Zach Wilson, regardless of what happens, is going to get a look as a backup quarterback next year. And it's not going to be with the New York Jets. It's going to be somewhere else. How they handle that. We'll see. I, I'm not sure. But I, I'm not willing to jump the shark and say this changes everything for Zach Wilson. I mean, he certainly showed poise 
He showed presence in a bad weather game with not a lot of weapons. He looked good. He looked like a good quarterback. You can argue it might have been the best game of his career, honestly, uh, against a Texans team that is trying to make the playoffs and is maybe overachieving uh, more than what people would have expected from them this year. So I'm not putting a ton of stock into it. You also have to understand Zach Wilson had nothing to lose here. There were no stakes in this game. for. And he said that's why he played well. He goes, what are they going to do? Bench me? Right. So, you know, if that's That's the mentality. Like, apparently. But you can't play like that every single time you step on the field. You're not going to have that freedom to just air it out however you want. The Jets had nothing to lose by giving Zach Wilson a shot here. And now apparently because they won, they're trying to say that Aaron Rodgers might come back on Christmas, which is just still asinine. But It's an insult to doctors everywhere, but continue. (laughs) Of course it is. But that monkey sweat aloe or whatever he's using is going to try to get him back out there. Anyway, um, I, I do think he... Give him another good game. If we get another good game out of him, Maybe he's playing himself into a solidified backup role with another team next season. Yeah. But I'm not ready to declare that after one game. The comp I would give, and maybe this is another potential landing spot as well, depending on what they decide to do with their quarterback situation, would be when the New Orleans Saints acquired Jameis Winston. I know you're going to say the Saints, but Jameis Winston is better than Zach Wilson. They're not wrong. Like substantially better. I get it. But is New Orleans therefore? I I guess that Jameis Winston turned the ball over a lot. But he also was a productive offensive quarterback. He could. Right. He just was a turnover. Like that's the thing is, like he could throw four picks, but he could throw five touchdowns. Yeah. So I understand where Zach Wilson has not been able to throw touchdowns this year, and and obviously Sean Payton's not there anymore, and so like you can't say, oh, New Orleans is the new Alabama rehab. Like how Alabama is to coaching rehab is what New Orleans is for quarterbacks. But I don't know. Like that's a situation where, like, let's say they do win the division. They're not going to be picking one of those elite quarterbacks, at least I wouldn't think, unless like a 24-year-old like Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. falls to them or Jaden Daniels inexplicably falls to them, although I don't think that happens because I think Bill Belichick has other plans. Um, You look at them, or since we mentioned Sean Payton, you look at the Denver Broncos, who as of right now are jockeying for position to make the playoffs. They will not be in a position to select Russell Wilson's successor with their first first round pick in quite some time. And so therefore they're going to have to come up with another workaround. I'm not saying there aren't teams out there. I just I'm a not team ready traded to... for Trey Lance. Like anything's I I possible. I, I, I'm not. I'm just not ready to say like this is a new Zach Wilson after one game that oh, had yeah. no stakes. I'm no, not I, I, like what did I say at the top? Law of averages. You knew the Jets were going to find their way to win a game. Their defense would have to play their tails off, which they did. Weird weather game. Stanford Steve apparently said earlier in the week that that was the one game college. Well, I guess there's only one college game in the NFL or NBA or any that he said he was not touching because the line was weird from the jump that it dropped from like five and a half in favor of the Texans to three on game day. And yeah, there was there was something some greater being in uh, in play. Maybe it's all thanks to the monkey sweat that Aaron Rodgers has on his ankle. Maybe so. Okay. We've been teasing this all show long. It's time to get into the big show yes. with Shohei Otani. And there's some breaking news on top of this. So, Mia, go ahead and set the stage first. Yes, because I know, John, you're excited to report all this. The Shohei Otani sweepstakes was full of drama. 
full of twists and turns. Baseball baseball fans thought he was headed north to the bo- north of the border to the Blue Jays initially when DodgerNation.com, LOL, reported that he was headed to Canada. Then he reveals on his own terms via one of the funniest Instagram slash Twitter posts you will ever see that he had signed a 10-year, $700 million deal with the Dodgers for the biggest Dodgers, for the biggest contract in American sports history. Number one, John, uh, hit us with those breaking updates. Number two, is any player actually worth $700 million? Although now we're finding out maybe he's not getting that full amount. Number three, was the secret free agency good or bad for Major League Baseball? Okay, lots to lots to unpack. I'm going to sit back and listen to my, to my baseball connoisseur and uh, my, my source. Yeah, lots to unpack here. So first off, I'll, I'll go backwards. The free agency thing, and I mean, I, you can chime in on this too. It was kind of fun having no idea what was going to happen. I mean, I feel Buster terrible. only begs to differ. I mean, I feel bad for for Blue Jays fans who had the misreporting, pretty much having them thinking that Shohei was coming to them, and he, he wasn't, and apparently it wasn't close to happening either. So I do feel bad for them. I mean, how do you feel about the secrecy surrounding it? I thought it was awful. I like I, I like because it wasn't like the secrecy. In that, like Hunter Dickinson, for example, um, when he was transferring out of Michigan, but he was like going on official visits to all the blue bloods and like posting pictures and like sending cryptic messages on social media. Like that stuff is funny to me. This, to his credit, was the right thing for Shohei because he wanted to stay out of the limelight. But the mystery surrounding it, I mean, maybe not great for growing the game aside from everybody just being like, oh, where do you think Shohei's going to go? I don't know. Where do you think he's going to go? So I think it would have been better if like, and again, this isn't his MO and that's why this was always the way it was going to play out. If he was like being wined and dined by five different teams in Nashville, like that would have been intriguing to me. Okay. So here we go. Ready? This is a $700 million contract. And we had heard when he signed it, that there was going to be a historic amount of deferrals in this contract. So what do I mean by deferrals? I mean money that he will not be paid now, but much further down the line instead. And the reason he did that was because he wanted the Dodgers to be able to build a winning team around him. He wants to win. Because Shohei they don't have Otani, one right now. What's that? They don't have a winning roster right now. Well, but I'm saying he wants to win. And Shohei Otani, outside of baseball, is making 50 to $100 million a year off his endorsements. He's the most popular man in Japan. And you combine the big step he took in American endorsements this past year. He's doing well in that sense. He is the most talented player you and I have ever seen play baseball. We've never seen a man as talented as Shohei Otani. So the $700 million, let me put it on this surface level and just say this outright. It will pay for itself within six years for the Dodgers. They will, attendance-wise, it will pay for itself, merchandise-wise, It'll help TV rights, everything. It will pay for itself at the end of the day. Will they win championships with him? That's what we're going to find out, right? But here's the news that came in just as we went on the air. And that is, (laughs) this is so crazy. Shohei Otani, over the course of this 10-year contract, is only going to make, per year, $2 million. Now, by... The structure of the contract, you would say on the surface, he should be making 70. It's a 10-year deal worth $700 million, right? Mm -hmm. But because of the deferrals, 
he instead will be making just $2 million a year because he wants the Dodgers to be able to build a winning team around him and pay whatever they got to do. If they got to go get Yoshinobu Yamamoto, they're going to do it. He wants that winning team. He had the, the Angels squandered Shohei and Mike Trout together. They had two of the greatest players of all time together and couldn't do anything. Couldn't make the postseason. To which, now, can I interject real quick? Well, let me just say this real yeah. quick because this mm-hmm. is important to them. You might be saying to yourself, $2 million a year, how'd they get away with that? So it's even though he's only going to make $2 million a year, it's going to be a $46 million a year count against the competitive tax threshold. So they will be taxed on that at a $46 million rate, even though they're only actually paying him $2 million. And in theory, it should be at a $70 million rate. Right. Now, you might be saying to yourself, why won't the league step in? Why won't the PA step in? Remember, 20 years ago, Alex Rodriguez was going to be a Boston Red Sox and wanted to defer all the money, but the league said, no, you're not doing that. Well, that's because in the new CBA that was signed a couple years ago, and Jeff Passan just reported this, deferred money is limitless. Quote, there shall be no limitations on either the amount of deferred compensation or the percentage of total compensation attributable to deferred compensation for which a uniform player's contract may provide. In other words, Mia, going forward, this is the precedent that anybody could sign anybody and defer as much money as they want. So to wrap up my point, Shohei Otani will make for the next 10 years $2 million a year off his contract. From 2034 through 2043, he will then make $68 million a year while sitting on his couch. There you go. What were you going to interject with? I was going to interject with, is this more of a Bobby Bonilla plan versus an Aaron Rodgers only counting as $1 million against the cap because he gets X amount of guarantees? It's neither of those. This is unprecedented. This has never been done in sports history. Because think about this now, Mia. Anyone can sign anyone at any rate and just say, we'll pay you later. Think about that. Think about that. And, and it's not coming. And it, so for the 2034 to 2046, that won't be a cap hit. That will just no. be out of the owner's pocket. It'll be out of the owner's pocket. Now, they're, they, 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 I mean, there's no cap in baseball, but the, the cap hit, the tax threshold hit is $46 million, even though they're not actually paying that money. Right. It's that's just, just what it's, it, it, in, in NFL terms, it counts against the cap. In, in terms of the tax rate they'll be paying, yes but they'll actually only be paying $2 million a year to show him for these first 10 years. That makes more sense because again, this is a guy whose recruitment and free agency was just so quiet. Um, he doesn't feel like the type of guy that would be needing $70 million a year. But think to live of off the of. precedent this sets. Any major market team, the New York Yankees, the New York Mets, whomever can say, I don't know, Mike Trout, we're going to trade for you. We're going to sign you to a new deal. We're only going to pay you a million dollars a year. But when you retire, we're going to pay you $300 because we don't want it to count against our pockets right now while you're And that $300 million is just coming out of the owner's pocket. It's not going against the luxury tax. Correct. This is so crazy. This is right. wild. And it's, it's totally legal. Right. It's what Aaron Rodgers and so many others in the NFL do. But it's deferring that guaranteed money until after the playing life. And so – you're just worrying about it later. But this isn't play money. This is, 
This isn't, ah, uh, you know, we'll pay it's you. It's guaranteed. Like, that's my point. It's like, like guaranteed. Bobby Bonilla. Yeah, you know, everyone trolls Bobby Bonilla's right. situation. He makes $1.2 million a year from the Mets and deferrals. Shohei Otani is going to make $68 million a year in deferrals. Non-taxed, no interest. Right, which works for him because and that's what I was going to – right, the point – the numbers that I was going to bring up, shout out to my, my good friend Chris Ebrio who did this. Um, if it had been $70 million, Shohei would have only pocketed a net pay of $33 million only, I say. $33 million. $35,314, but like, that's Trump change at this point. Because he would have given up $25 million in the federal income tax – $9.5 million in state income tax, another $9,000 in Social Security, one point six in Medicare, and then a state disability insurance as well. And so all of that that we all were like, oh, like it's California taxes, though. So he's not actually going to pocket all that money. Oh, he's going to pocket the money. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a way of getting around what so many other leagues have struggled with I mean, when teams just, say, I'd rather go to Florida or Texas, or players, excuse me, say, I'd rather go to Florida or Texas because of no state income tax. Well, this just this just changes this changes sports. This is unparalleled. This has never happened ever. And and it's co- totally legal, totally legal to happen. I mean, small market teams, how are they ever going to try and – I mean, you know, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother conversation where if you're rich. No, but I think it can be compared to like the NFL because like that was the big question with Joe Burrow. You can't compare anything to the NFL because there's a cap there. Right. But there's guaranteed money in the NFL that doesn't count against the cap. And that's something that there are teams, i.e. like, you know, the Jets with the roster they've currently constructed around Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers' cap number is only like one or two million because they gave him fifty million dollars in guaranteed money up front and said, "Okay, here you go. Here's the rest of your salary." They do it all the time when they restructure deals. And so, if anything, I would compare this. You know, when you make the point about small markets, that was the biggest concern with the Bengals and Joe Burrow because since they're trying to pay lots of guys and because notoriously they're a quote unquote cheap organization, would they be willing to give him the guaranteed money that a Lamar Jackson and a Justin Herbert had already gotten and thus the market rate, because that would be coming out of the owner's pocket, not the actual cap number. What do you think about what Bill just said in the comments of, I've got to assume this is a move to bring Yamamoto with him. I mean, yeah, it's to bring anyone in. (laughs) <laughs> load up load up what's 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 yoshinobu yamamoto gonna get now i mean yamamoto came into this offseason people thought he's gonna get around 200 210 he's probably getting at least 300 at this point before even throwing a pitch in major league baseball i mean we are astronomical remember when patrick mahomes whose dad played major league baseball by the way remember when he got that 500 million dollar contract and was like oh my god this blows Which is worth the away. money by the way but continue it blows that away blows it away two million dollars a year they're gonna pay this man he's the greatest player that's ever played the game in terms of he talent. chose it though oh it's genius for him. He's going to get $680 million dollars later. Why would you want to sit on your Brilliant. ass when you're in your mid-40s starring in a shampoo commercial and making $68 million a year to do absolutely nothing? This man has had to have two elbow yeah. surgeries. He's paid his dues. I mean, come on. I mean, it's it's genius on his behalf. It just, I, I am very worried, very worried about the precedent that it sets because... Man, I mean... I mean, but this is unfortunately because baseball doesn't have a cap. This, I mean, I feel like it was kind of inevitable that this would loophole would finally be discovered. 
It's not Let's that be real. The Yankees, which we're going to get to the Yankees here in a second. The Yankees spent how much time, how many years, excuse me, flirting with the luxury tax and just throwing money at people and people saying they're going to go over the threshold. Oh no. And George Steinbrenner was like, mm, I don't care. Well, the threshold, didn't ex- the threshold didn't exist back then. The thresholds only existed for more or less the last eight, nine what years. What was it? The luxury cap. There was, was no, there was no, there was no cap. There was no nothing. It was just right. how it was. He was just spending money. He was just spending money. But the, the, you know, they invented this tax threshold essentially this third tier because of Steve Cohen with the Mets where you're taxed at 110% rate. If you three seasons in a row, go over the tax um, threshold. This is crazy. And look, it leads into our next topic because for all we know, if the Yankees want to get a deal done with this guy, maybe they'll try to circumvent the situation in a similar way. Yes. There we go. That's with it. Yes. The Yankee or no, do you want to say? I'll I'll tee you up. up. My apologies. I'll tee you up. So I, I should tee you up on this anyway, because the Yankees struck a blockbuster deal for former Padres outfielder Juan Soto last week, sending five pieces, including prize pitcher Michael King to San Diego in return for Soto and outfielder Trent Grisham. And it begs the question, Mia, have the Yankees finally caught up to the rest of Major League Baseball? Would you like to share with our audience, John, the first thing I texted you when you said, hey, Industry source tells me the deal is done. What was the first thing I said to you? Finding the exact wording. Stand by. Because it was iconic. Scrolling up. Um, oh, you asked if uh, Hal has Juan Soto's cell number. Which, of course, is an allusion to him not having Derek Jeter's cell phone number. I think this is a good step for Hal. He's finally leaning into what... The world is that his father built firsthand. That's how I feel about it. You know, like. So is the evil empire back? To be determined. Uh, I agree with Scott in the comments. They probably still need some more pitching help because they need some more bodies besides Garrett Cole. Um, I think that you could never not have enough depth. Depth, And if you go through those Yankees teams of the 90s and even the 2009 World Series team, that was a hallmark in addition to highly prized free agents that they threw a lot of money at, which obviously now they can defer said money if they were to recreate that magic. Um, But no, I mean, this is a step in the right direction because the Yankees are supposed to be making blockbuster deals like this, especially around the MLB trade, the MLB uh, GM meetings and hot stove season. Like this is a trademark of who the Yankees are. And so that makes me happy because it's a throwback to our childhood. Mark my words, this whole deferral thing is going to be a massive holdup with the next CBA because this probably slipped in there and people were like, wait a minute. This is crazy. That's a show in the Dodgers for figuring it out, though. Well, you know, that was the whole thing with this Yankees thing because everyone's like, oh, one year rental, see what you get. He probably can't offer him enough. Well, now the Yankees, in theory, could just be like, listen, bro. We'll pay you $500 million. After you retire. Next year, if you could just take like 10, that'd be sick. And we'll pay you the next 25 million per year that you're due after that. I mean, Juan Soto's 25 years old. Which is still wild to say, by the way. Yeah. He's been on three teams and he's 25. And he's he's an an all-star. and He he is on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Yeah, I didn't want to say it. You can. No, no, he absolutely is. I mean, his similarity scores and his comps they're comparable to ted williams i mean he is legitimately i can't overstate this enough i said this on sny the other day too 
Juan Soto is one of the greatest hitting acquisitions the New York Yankees have ever made. And and that's not hyperbole. That is simply off of his track record so far. Will he live up to that? We'll see. But it, it, this is the evil empire coming back and making a move they needed to make. They had to make it. If if he doesn't work out, if he gets hurt and misses most of the season, or if he flops, you can't be mad at the Yankees. The Yankees they went all in. They had to make this move. They had to make this move. He changes the dynamic. Well, of their let's lineup. also begin with the fact that they had to make this move because how many left-handed hitters did they have total? That's why they needed to make total, the move. I'm not being like in the grand scheme of 162 games last year. How many left-handed hitters did the Yankees have on their on their roster? I think it was like five, maybe. I don't need. Oh, I don't think they have that many. No, right. I, no. Anthony Rizzo. players we're talking about people this is just yeah. anyone on the roster no i mean they're they're not and now you have a chance to actually go out and sh- say to the world we are back and now this I, my mind's gonna be spinning for hours about this deferred money thing because it changes the way we know baseball for years to come uh, i props to show hey he knew what he was doing he knew what he was doing he's a smart guy and now people like Juan Soto need to perk up their ears and need to say, huh, I'm 25. And right now, if I sign a deferred 15-year contract, I could guarantee I'll be getting paid into my 60s. That's called generational wealth. <laughs> you think? Also, did you see uh, the Juan Soto, the commercial, when he goes, oh, Derek Jeter signed. There you go. It was so great. I loved it. I think they, SNY asked Juan Soto at the trade deadline this year, or at the All-Star break, rather, if he could name the five boroughs. And he did. He was able to name the five boroughs. So he, he knows what he's stepping into. He's and look, but think about this. Daddy Cohen next year is going to be in on trying to get Juan Soto to move cross town. The Yanks are going to be in on trying to retain his services. The Juan Soto sweepstakes are going to be right up there with Otani. They're going to be right up there. I mean, he's not going to make seven hundred million. Right, but if the Yankees—that's your point—where the Yankees could swoop in right now and they could just say, "Hey, here's five hundred million dollars after you retire." But Boom, why would you do that if you want? Why would you do that and sign anything right now? Nobody after this deal from Otani, nobody should ever sign a contract extension. Why would you? <laughs> if the market is out there waiting for you, why would you sign a contract extension? a big question i mean because or do we convert to the to the nba where it's one year deal after one year deal after two year deal after one year deal well and look how the nba's changed where you know they do those one year deals and they're worth 50 million dollars right and that's the other alternative (laughs) yeah and and maybe we see more of that in baseball but uh, this this is crazy let's let's talk about the nba mia Yes, the in-season tournament has come and gone. In case you missed it, it was a thing. It happened for the first time. The Lakers are champions as the Lord intended, because why aren't they? They got the champagne celebration. They got the big money bonus. They got the fancy court and the cool jerseys. But was this a success, John, or a league-manufactured nonsensical play? (sighs) So, okay, here's how I view the in-season tournament. I mean, they really tried to go all out and make this important. I mean, look at them right there. They look like they just won an NBA championship, do they not? Right. And they had the champagne celebration. They're going to hang a banner. 
I get the idea. Indiana may still hang a banner, but that's a story for another time. I get the idea of wanting to make something feel important. And, you know, the streaming numbers weren't necessarily there for this, but it's the first year of it. And what I did really appreciate was if you paid attention to the tournament, the players really were invested in nabbing that money. They wanted that money. They they recognized that this was a way to guarantee some in-season dough for themselves. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be the first in something? So I get that. You know, the, the whole idea of comparing it to the NBA playoffs, it's not apples to apples for me because you're talking a series there versus weird random calibrations of point differentials and singular games, single elimination, essentially, once you get to the actual playoff portion of it. Was it a success? I don't know if I'm ready to go there. Was it a failure? No, I don't think so either. I think we're just going to have to play this a few more times to see if it's something that starts to stick a little more. I think it got people talking about the NBA at a point in the season in which they probably don't. Most people don't even think about the NBA until Christmas Day. For um, sure. And and one thing that you can look at and say it was a success, you know, essentially, Mia, these are regular season games, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, viewership was generally up like 20% on the Right, it increased games. the value of a regular season game, and it also forced teams to play their normal starting lineup as opposed to load management, which was the yeah. goal. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the main goals of it. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think on the surface level, it didn't hinder anything. I, there, there are minor advantages to it. You know, you could argue, was it a little over the top doing a full-blown championship celebration and champagne, maybe? This isn't this tournament wasn't the grind that a typical postseason is. So perhaps that was a bit overzealous. Ultimately, though, I I was fine with it. I thought it worked as intended. Again, the struggle that's going to come with it, Mia, is what happens when in future years you're in the garbage time portion of a game, but you're just throwing threes up because you have to hit the point differential and a superstar player gets hurt. What do you do then? I mean... Like that superstar player, Kevin Durant, is playing in a is playing in an in season tournament game. Yeah. His team is up thirty, but he's but only in there because they need to increase the point differential, and then he gets hurt. Then what? Is that worth it? The, for the, league's, league? the league's probably happy because he played, but then they'll think about, oh crap, now we may not have he's him. He's lost your star for the series. season potentially. Right. right. That's a double edged sword, but it's the price you pay to have viewership numbers earlier in the year. I think it's that simple. If you want your stars playing and not load managing, then you accept the risk that could come with those injuries. Um, I wanted to read for you the all-tournament team, um, and then we can say our favorite phrase uh, from Sesame Street. Uh, The all-tournament team for the inaugural NBA in-season tournament, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Tyrese Halliburton. One of these things is not like the other. I give Halliburton a lot of credit. Yeah, and as much as I, love, I love to make fun of the Indianapolis uh, sports scene because Jim Irsay will hang a banner even if you only played for the Colts for three seasons. Um, and, and that's why I think the Pacers may still hang a banner of in-season tournament runner-ups in the inaugural year. Um, Tyrese Halliburton's a baller. I'm happy yeah. for him. And I think that that's where this in-season tournament is awesome because it can get names like him that are fringe trying to get sure, to that upper echelon. Exposure. Hell yeah. Gives him massive exposure. He got to go toe for toe with LeBron, even if 
the Lakers dominated the championship game. Um, and, and so I think that that part of it is, is huge because that's how you're going to develop other stars. And hey, LeBron won something that Jordan never won. I heard that this morning on radio too. For everyone who wants to say LeBron is better than MJ. I don't see Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls banner for the in-season tournament. Just saying. Yeah, don't see that hanging from the Raptors. Or for that matter, the Washington Wizards. Speaking of Indiana, um, there's a special superstar who may be headed there, John. Let's wrap with this. Let's, Let's wrap with it. I know you're very excited to talk about this. Iowa superstar Caitlin Clark. Became the 15th player in Division I women's basketball history to reach 3,000 points for her career. She becomes the first player in Division I, men or women, to record at least 3,000 points, 750 boards, and 750 assists. So it is a simple question to ask, Mia. Is she the greatest college basketball player ever? She isn't even done yet. That's the crazy part. And there's an argument that says yes. I am going to reserve judgment. Because no, of- you got to give me a take. You got to give me a take. Well, so here's the thing. Here's your take. You ready? I don't think she goes to the WNBA draft. You think she holds off? Nothing still? against the Indiana Fever. I, she is making a boatload of money at the University of Iowa through NIL. She's in every major national commercial. I'm sure in New Jersey you get her. We get her here in Florida on State Farm commercials. Like, hello. Um, you couple that with... The reality of she has always viewed herself as more than a basketball player. She's going to get her MBA because she's already in the tippy school of business. She's going to stay another year. Maybe that means that, you know, there's another WNBA team out there that thinks, oh, my God, now we could potentially get her. She thinks she has more of a reach right now playing college basketball than she does playing professionally, whether that's in the WNBA or overseas. I, I know this from talking to people around her. She knows that when she goes to the WNBA, the hope, similar to Sabrina Ionescu, who, mind you, great player in her own right, who also broke plenty of records, the hope is that that will bring up viewership for the WNBA. I don't think so, because I think women's college basketball is so unique in that as we are in this age where we question, are college football players really professional athletes? Are they actually amateurs? Are these crazy NIL deals being signed in college in men's college basketball. Are those guys really professionals? Are they actually still student athletes? She is the throwback. And I think there is this weird nostalgia around just women's college basketball in general and how wholesome it is. And she's the ultimate wholesome girl. And so I think she's staying. I don't think even though the Indiana fever won the uh, WNBA lottery on Sunday afternoon, I don't think she's going to go. I think she comes back for another year. And in turn, I think she demolishes every record that there has ever been. And then, yes, she goes down as the greatest college basketball player of our time. Yeah, I think she is. I think the way in which she's commanded interest to the women's game is just different than pretty much anybody ever has, which is amazing. You're right about the NIL stuff. She's probably making more money now than she'll make professionally, which is really messed up in and of itself. But uh, I'm I love the way in which she handles herself, how she recognizes the assignment all the time. And she always be marketing. That's what she she, uh, she said at the golf outing we went to with her. Always be marketing. She carries herself well. She's a great representative for the sport. She's a baller. Yeah. I mean, no disputing it on my end. I, I think she at least on the woman's end, she's the greatest college basketball player ever. 
And by maybe the end of her four years, you know, it's not exactly apples to apples, but there's going to be a fair argument to make that she is the best of all time, which is pretty wild to think about. It's wild to think about. And we'll end on this. I saw her in high school. I was told she was the number three player in her class. And I said, her? Really? And here we are. Beast of the week time, man. Who was or who did the most beastly thing in sports this week? Oh, I I know we already mentioned his dad, but I want to give a shout out to Bronny James. Um, That's the answer, man. It's Bronny without question. Not just, and I understand they lost to Long Beach State, who's who not an awful team. I understand he only had four points, um, but I think this is not only a tribute to Bronny and what he's been through over the last five, six months since he suffered. He went into cardiac arrest on the floor at USC's practice gym. I think it's a credit to the Mayo Clinic team. Shout out to my local Mayo Clinic here, although he was treated at the Rochester campus. It's a credit to what we have done. And obviously, as you know, and I think some of our listeners know, um, I've been very involved with locally here in Florida, um, who we play for, which is the local um, nonprofit that focuses on sudden cardiac arrest in athletes, um, which Florida has one of the largest rates of athletes who have gone into sudden cardiac arrest and thus who we play for was created. And they work to not only they've made uh, CPR class mandatory. Florida was one of eight states left in the United States that it was not mandatory to take a CPR class to graduate public high school. But they're also working to make ECG screenings a part of a, of a high school sports physical in the state of Florida and beyond. Clearly, Bronny James was discovered to have had a heart defect. He had never had an EKG before um, screening. And so if he had had an ECG, EKG screening, they may have caught this earlier. Thankfully, the medical personnel that were there, the medical personnel that were there for DeMar Hamlin were well-trained in CPR, which thankfully is becoming more and more more and more well, people are becoming more well-versed in it, which is huge. Um, and it's a tribute to them. It's a tribute to medical advancements that Keontae Johnson is currently on a two-way contract with the Oklahoma City Thunder and Bronny James is back playing at USC. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And given the high profile nature too of Bronny, for him to be able to not lose sight of the goal and do the proper work to get back out there, make sure that he took the necessary steps. It's a big shout out to all the medical staff there, the people who saved his life in the first place, of course. But then uh, once he actually got back out there and into practice every day and then on the court for this game, it's, it's amazing. And then uh, great resilience. You hope that Bronny is able to have a healthy career, but more importantly, have a healthy life. And this is awesome. So beast of the week, no questions asked. This has been out of bounds. She's Mia. I'm John. We'll see you next time right here. I know your news. Roses are red, violets are blue. I click the subscribe button, you really should too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.